This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university in San Francisco. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Marianne, it's really wonderful to to be here with you this evening. It's so great to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you and um, on this topic of of self compassion and and to learn more about you and and uh, the book that you wrote and to just be engaged in in this uh, dialogue around this topic. It's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, so I was just wondering, you know, just to kind of start start us off for this evening in our in our conversation, just to to get kind of a feel around, you know, what is self compassion? How do you define self compassion um, in in your own life, and and perhaps you know, in in how you've defined it also in your book? Yeah. Um, so self compassion is similar to the construct of compassion, which means literally to suffer with and to want to alleviate that suffering. And self-compassion is that feeling turned inwards. Um, The researcher, Kristen Neff, who, by the way, was at CIIS a year ago, I believe, for public programs, she defines self-compassion as containing three elements. So self-kindness, mindfulness, and common humanity. And self-kindness means being kind to yourself rather than harsh and judgmental. So it has to do with how we talk to ourselves, how we take care of ourselves. Mindfulness is a balanced awareness that neither rejects or um, over-identifies with. And then common humanity is recognizing that we are connected through our shared humanity and that suffering is simply part of being human. Um, Paul Gilbert, who's another uh, compassion researcher, he says... We didn't choose to be born. We just kind of find ourselves here with our complicated brains doing the best we can. So, and there are lots of misconceptions about self-compassion. One of them is that it will make us lazy and unmotivated, which is not true. The research shows that... um, it's compassion and not criticism that motivates us to do better, which is counterintuitive. You know, one of the reasons why we think we need to be self-critical is that if we're not, we will um, be unsuccessful. We won't do what we're supposed to be doing. So... I like having that definition of self-compassion sort of broken down into these three parts of 
of kindness and, um, you know, mindfulness and, and shared humanity. It, it kind of helps create a, a, a more holistic understanding of what it is because when you hear self-compassion, it can have so many different meanings or feel like it's hard to kind of grasp. But the, the way you've defined it really feels like I can kind of land into, you know, self-compassion and, 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 and how you understand it. I'm really, I'm really curious about, you know, how you actually came to, you know, self-compassion. What was, you know, what brought you to even care about this topic or to, to integrate it into your life in the way that you have? So I came to it through the work of Kristen Neff. And, um, I, so let me start by saying that I grew up learning, as I think most of us do, to be self-critical. Uh, and in my case, I, um, I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian family. And so there was a lot of uh, shaming, and I felt like I was fundamentally flawed. There was something inherently wrong with me. And so I grew up with this harsh inner critic. And I just thought that that's, that was normal, right? I didn't know any other way. Um, so when I read Kristen Neff's book, it kind of shocked me. Like, really? There's another way I, I could actually be kind to myself? And so then I read other books, um, Paul Gilbert, Tara Brock, um, Brene Brown, and I was understanding intellectually this concept, but I hadn't yet made the leap to putting it into practice. Um, I don't know if that's one of my academic flaws is that I'll, under I'll grasp something, but actually putting it into practice is a completely different animal. So for me, what um, sort of propelled me into practicing self-compassion was some events that happened in 2016 and 2017, um, which was sort of the impetus for writing the book. <clears throat> um, and so in, in August of 2016, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and actually about yeah, exactly four years ago, I had a double mastectomy. And, you know, the thing about illness is you have a lot of time to reflect. And for me, it was a time of um, just, it was a wake-up call is what it was. It was a wake-up call. And, like, my life was asking, you know, Am I living the life I feel I was meant to live? Am I fulfilling my purpose here on earth? And the answer was no. I was living a small life. This is what self-criticism self had done for me. I was afraid of doing anything. And I, um, one of the problems was I was married to a man who was very critical. And I realized that I needed out, um, which was a really difficult decision because we'd been married for almost 10 years. 
Um, eventually, though, it felt like the self-compassionate thing for me was to leave. Um, and with the help of a therapist, I finally told him. I had agonized about telling him for months because um, I was worried that it would, you know, it would break his heart. Um, and, you know, it's strange, but I've, I've told this story quite a few times now, and it doesn't get easier to talk about it. Um, yeah, I can hear some of the the emotion in, in your <laughs> voice. So, you know, thank you for being willing to even just, you know, speak about it, you know, yeah. in this moment. Yeah, well, it's important. Um, so my my first husband then, he... Um, he uh, walked out of the therapy session, and I didn't see him again. Um, later that night, I got a call from the sheriff's department that there had been a car crash in West Oakland, and he had died instantly. And the next day, I went to our apartment and <clears throat> found a suicide note and two Google Map printouts of the crash site. So it was clearly intentional. And, you know, I want to just, a little sidebar here. Um, September is Suicide Prevention Month. And if there's anything that people can take from this tonight, I want it to be that it's self-compassionate to ask for help. And whether that is um, that you have suffered a suicide loss or that you are having suicidal thoughts, there is so much help out there. And just just ask for help, you know. And if, it, if you've experienced suicide loss, I recommend joining a group specifically for suicide loss because other bereavement groups are great but they suicide is its own um, complex trauma so anyway uh, that was one of the first things I did was join a support group um, and you know then the question became well how how am I going to move on from this? Because I blamed myself big time. I mean, how could I not blame myself? Um, and it took a lot of self-care and self-compassion to get sort of to the other side. Yeah. So that's how I came to self-compassion. Well, yeah, it sounds like it really was something that... Um you know, in, in making, in coming to this decision, it's like you really had to, um, understand your life from a different lens, right? Because you mentioned sort of having this critical lens and, and it, you know, um, you know, not that it's like it required this kind of wake up call. I mean, it's, it's quite, um, 
intense what you've had to go through in order to come to this point. Um, of course, I liked what you said is around at the beginning around that we don't necessarily choose to come here, but then we find ourselves, you know, here with all of these complexities. And so, um, yeah, it's like that, that was such a, seemed like that was a really big turning point for you to have those experiences and so close to, so close together. Right. So it was in the course of six months mm-hmm. um, from August of 2016 to February of 2017. Mm-hmm. It was um, very intense. And at the same time, I I learned so much about myself and that I was kind of forced to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and being forced to do that, I showed up for myself and I showed myself that I can take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And after that, there was like uh, nothing I couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the f- first things I started was a PhD program. So um, it, it definitely changed a lot for me. Mm-hmm. What were, what were some, you know, uh, I just get curious, you know, when I hear you say that is like, you know, what was, what was one of the first things that you felt like you could really step into, you know, as you're making this, this shift in, in way, in, in how you're being in the world, you know, what felt like the most, I guess, tangible step that you could take to then, you know, move into this deeper, you know, or more expanded state that you're speaking about? That's a really good question. Um, you know, in the in the beginning, it was it was all about self care. I mean, there's like this foggy state that accompanies grief, mm-hmm. and all I could do was take care of my physical needs. Was I eating and sleeping? You know, in some ways, it's similar to what we're going through on a collective level with COVID. In the beginning, it felt like all we could do was just get through the day. Um, And then there comes a point where you you have to make meaning of it. Um, Or at least that's that's how it was for me. What what story was I going to tell about this? You know, how was I going to make sense of it? And, and I think we, we, we all tell stories about what happens. And, you know, when trauma happens, we need to find a way to fit it into our life story. Mm-hmm. It's like our life story has been jarred. And how are we going to, how is this piece going to fit in with who we are? Um, and that takes time. Um, for me, a lot of it has to do with journaling. I just journaled a lot. And by, and that's also partly why I have so many journaling prompts in the book, because for, I've, I felt for me, it's, it's been so helpful. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. 
You did. I, I think the the journaling piece seems like that's really prevalent. And I, I really like, you know, just, you know, since you mentioned your book, you know, how you've how you've so beautifully interwoven, you know, bits of your your story and, you know, how you how you came to make some shifts. And then you you turn it around and offer like a gift. It's almost like a gift that you then give to the reader, you know, in offering them, you know, a prompt or some way to engage in that concept. And I, I just, you know, I really love how you you interweave all of these components into into your book. But I want to go back to um, the idea of story because that's something that is really intriguing to me, the way in which we 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 write our stories in our own minds about who we are in the world and how sometimes we can get caught up in in a story that perhaps isn't serving and you mentioned stories a few times you know or throughout your book around the importance of that and i'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more you know around the importance of you know the stories that we tell ourselves and how how this has been a, a also a component for you in your journey in self-compassion. Yeah. Um, so the, the form that our self-criticism takes is often story. And so we, we um, can get caught in, in these, um, core narratives that are limiting and I certainly had done that I um, had bought into the story that I was never going to be good enough no matter how much I people pleased or uh, achieved or you know did things as perfectly as I could it was just never going to be good enough um, and, you know, this, these stories, we get them from our primary caregivers, our early environments, you know, church, school, um, parents. And, you know, it's not our fault that we believe them. That's all we've heard. Um, but at some point, it's like, okay, I need to choose my story now. Do I still want to believe this story? Is the story from the church, is that the story I want to live by? Um, is it the story that my husband's suicide was my fault? Is that a beneficial story? I mean, whether or not it's true, you know, it's not, it's not going to help anyone to be, be living by that story. Um, so I did a lot of journaling around what, what was I telling myself about who I am and my place in the world and what I could and could not do. And, um, you know, these stories, they impact how we deal with future events. And, you know, there's an there's a advantage or an opportunity in a traumatic event. You are faced with your stories. It's, um, it comes to the surface in a way that, you know, normally you might be unconscious of these stories. 
Um, and so um, a tra trauma can be an opportunity to look at them and uncover them and rewrite them to be more self-compassionate. Right. Do you think that is, be I'm just, you know, to stay with this a little bit, um, because I have my own idea around that, you know, um, in that, you know, trauma is something that in, in many ways kind of, it breaks us open, right? right? And when that breaking open happens, it's like we can, we see more of ourselves, right? Um, is that kind of what you're alluding to? Or is there something like, is there something more to it? I, well, for me anyway, it's easy to get wrapped up in your daily life and not self-reflect mm -hmm. until one day you wake up and you're like, wow, I'm here. Is this where I wanted to be going? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, this might be a good time to distinguish between self-criticism and self-reflection. So um, it's important to be ref self-reflective, to, to um, look at yourself. Um, but it, and that's different from self-criticism. Yeah, you write about this a little bit in your book around how you can, when you start, when you are journaling, how you can kind of get yourself into this more, this more critical kind of loop or way of writing rather than, you know, letting that just kind of be a part of the journaling and then moving into a more self-compassionate way um, of, yeah. Yeah. And also that... Um, you know, I, I love journaling and I talk about it all the time, but there's one trap you can get stuck in, which is it just becomes a negative rant. Mm -hmm. And it's like going to the deeper level. What, what else is there? And how can I turn this into something um, positive or growth-oriented or something that I can learn from? And how, how would you say, you know, what, how can you get to that deeper level? How can you, how can, you know, just for folks who are, are listening, just curious if you might offer a suggestion around how somebody can go from, you know, writing in a more sort of negative way in their journaling to really making that shift to dropping into a deeper space within themselves to really reach into, you know, this more self-reflective or self-compassionate uh, way of, of journaling. So for me, one of the things I practice is rereading what I've written and noticing what patterns there are um, and a lot of times different books will have journaling prompts that just get me into the right space. Sometimes rereading what I wrote um, and reflecting back on it, like re writing about what I've, I notice in my patterns. Um, you know, I, the first step of anything is becoming aware. A lot of times we're not even aware of how 
negative we are. And so just rereading it, it kind of hits you. And um, yeah, I don't know if that it answers does. your question, but yeah, it does. I think what I'm hearing you say is like, you know, it's kind of slowing the process down a li little bit and just giving space to really look at what's really happening. What's What are you communicating through your words and to see the patterns? I think that, you know, um, you answered that really clearly. And it's it seems like a really useful process to engage in because, you know, I think when I think about journaling, it's like I've written it in the journal and then it the, I turn the page and I, I don't ever come back to it. And so I think what you're offering is a really, um, it's it's an additional step in the practice of journaling that feels really uh, important to be able to to notice and to see the patterns that are happening. Yeah. Um, one of the practices that I, I, uh, I noticed you wrote about was the practice of gratitude. And I thought it was really interesting the way you framed the practice of, of journaling, you know, in gratitude. And I wondered if you wanted to speak a little bit about that and how that relates to, you know, um, what we're talking about this evening. Yeah. So, um, it's a, it's a journaling practice that, you know, I don't remember where I got it from, honestly. I, <laughs> read so many books, <laughs> but I, I didn't come up with it myself. Um, so the idea is that first you write about what you're grateful for. Um, and then you write about what you wish would happen, but as if it had happened. And so it's like a, it's, it's another layer of you're being grateful for what um, what will happen? Ugh, I'm, I'm trying to say this. Um, and the the fascinating thing about it was that I practiced this for a while, uh, and the thing that I was wanting came true. Mm. So be careful <laughs> what you wish for, right? <laughs> um, and so it's just a, it's it's coming at it from gratitude instead of okay I'm gonna visualize what I want, um, and I just felt like f coming from that perspective it was, um, it 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 was a, a deepening process for me, and I and writing it down certainly makes it more real. Yeah. Yeah, and writing, I noticed, you know, you spoke about writing about it in as if it's already happened. And there there seemed to be an importance around that piece, around it, you know, not something that you're wishing for, but something that's already here, present, and now. Right, right. It makes it very immediate and uh, achievable. Yeah. 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 So I'm, 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 you know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation around you joining, you know, building up the the confidence um, and to to join the PhD program. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about, you know, what you're doing in the PhD program, what your research, you know, it, it, you know, looks like, and 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 just to speak a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Um, 
Well, um, so I'm very interested in how we make meaning after a traumatic event. What, what stories do people tend to tell after such an event? And what kinds of stories are most beneficial for, for growth? And so I'm, I'm combining this interest in meaning and story with self-compassion. So how can we, how can we use a self-compassion narrative to create growth-oriented meaning? Because um, that's ultimately what what helped me, and and I think in some ways my book is the expression of a self-compassion narrative. Um, and so when I, what I'm looking at in my in my research is coming up with a framework for this self-compassion narrative. So I'm taking Kristen Neff's definition with the three elements, self-kindness, mindfulness, and common humanity. And then I'm, I'm adding to it, because so, I feel like those three are the sort of the acceptance piece. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, the being in what is. And then I'm adding sort of the the narrative part with um, something that's pragmatic, useful, and has agency, and is growth oriented. Um, and so that's the the potential for change. So how can I be with what is and also create the change that I that I want? Um, because ultimately I think that's what's so fascinating about adversity is that people survive and cope and, and, and thrive afterwards. And how does that happen? How do people, um, create something beautiful out of something horrible? I'm really interested in, in that, so... And I think self-compassion can be a really key element to give us the courage to do this because it takes courage. Um, and really, I think that that's the biggest difference for me. I always, I always wanted to be brave and do stuff, but, but I didn't have the compassion for myself. And so when I failed at it, oh, my self-worth fell apart. With self-compassion, it's like, okay, I can make a mistake. I'm still okay. You know, I've, I've got me no matter what. This is one of the biggest differences between self-compassion and self-esteem. Um, originally, Kristen Neff had proposed self-compassion as uh, an alternative to self esteem because self-esteem has a dark side and the 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 biggest difference is that self-esteem is attached to outcomes you know as long as you're doing well then you're going to feel good about yourself but when you fail as we all eventually do then the self-worth falls apart self-esteem or with self-compassion uh you're always okay. It's not contingent on how well you perform or 
you know, if people like you or don't like you. So self, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what I'm hearing you say is that self-compassion is not conditional on, you know, what you do or what happens. It's like, it's, it's like your best friend that's always there with you, you know, helping you through the good times and the, and the bad times, you know? And that's so empowering um, to know that you can take, that you've got you. Mm-hmm. Even if the world around you is falling apart, you know. And I, I do realize when I say that, that I'm saying it from a place of a lot of privilege, you know. And, and so... Um, I recognize that this is not this does not change the fact that there are systemic things that need to be changed, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think we're certainly seeing you know some of that with the current pandemic and and you know the the uh, civic upheaval that's happening right now too. You know, here in the United States, I mean, there's a lot happening that's being brought to the brought to the surface um and i'm certainly not going to ask you to to come up with an answer to all of those <laughs> the that that would be a lot to to sort of hand over um you know but i do you know just get curious i mean it's like right now it's like you know there is a way in which um you know regardless of circumstances we're going through a shared experience how it's how the shared experience is affecting us is entirely unique to to our our context who we are and and um our communities our social worlds i mean there's so many different layers to it and and at the core i mean one of the things that i you know hear in the um in the definition that you use is is humanity right it's like we all have this, we, we all are part of the shared humanity together. And, um, and so, you know, I'm just, I guess the question that's really coming up for me is, you know, how even during this time of pandemic where things are really challenging, um, you know, how we can, like how, how important self-compassion is at this particular time and this particular moment. Right. Right. Well, as I, I think I started to say earlier, um, in the beginning of this pandemic, and, and, you know, I'm not in any way badly affected by it, but we're, we're all in some way affected, right? And in the beginning, there, it, there was this sense of needing to hunker down and take care of myself because the whole world just felt like it was um, falling apart. Now I feel like I'm coming out of that bubble maybe a little bit and, and okay, what, what, what now? You know, we're still in it and what can we do? what can we learn from this experience? Let's not let this pass and go back to normal, whatever normal was before. We, we've got to tell a new story, write a new story. And um, 
I mean, obviously, one of the biggest things I think we've noticed is that is how interconnected we are. You know, one person's behavior here affects all these people. Um, so I hope that this will be an opportunity for us to find a better way. I mean, I, I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I really appreciate, uh, you know, your framing of that. And, you know, I think one of the things that you pointed to was around, you know, just the, I guess the privilege, you know, that you have. And, you know, I know that you've, you've just recently published your book during this time. So it was like, you know, I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit about what it was even like to, to write a book during this time you know, to publish a book during yeah. this time. It felt, it felt selfish. I, it was really hard to market my book during, like, you know, here, buy my book. It just felt like um, such a small thing compared to people dying. And, but then I reframed it as like, okay, I have something to offer. Yeah, Someone might be needing to read this. Um, and, you know, of course, I couldn't do the book readings. I can't talk to you in person. <laughs> <laughs> Although this is a, we're doing, this is yeah. a wonderful alternative. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, you know, I had a virtual book launch and I was able to have some friends from Denmark be with me. You know, that wouldn't have happened in a, a, a normal setting. So, you know, everything has its pluses and minuses. I, um, I'm still hoping one day to have a book reading in a bookstore. Uh, maybe that'll happen in a, in a year or something. Um, yeah. But so that, that was also an example of reframing a situation where I could feel incredibly sorry for myself. Here I've been working on this book, <laughs> and now what? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like what it, one thing that you're kind of alluding to that I'm hearing you say, and I think you talk about this a little bit in your book too or in several different points, is around, you know, sometimes when when you publish something or you do a study or, you know, you're speaking about a particular topic – I think sometimes there's this there's this sense that you know everybody thinks like oh well so you've perfected it like you know how to do this well all the time right you're just 100% self compassionate and I think what you've just mentioned is that like it's a practice right so it, it just you know wonder if you could speak a little bit about that yeah I I like to say that I'm not an expert on self compassion I'm an expert on self criticism. <laughs> Um, and it is a practice, a, a constant, um, you know, I, I, I'm, it's never going to be something that I can just check off as, okay, self-compassion, I've done that. I'm, no, uh, it's a constant, um, I don't want to use the word struggle. I want to say challenge. It's a, it's a, 
it's a decision I have to make every day, a conscious choice, because my tendency is automatically to go to criticism, to perfectionism, comparison, uh, beating myself up for not achieving enough. You know, I think we all have our our various, uh, you know, our inner critic can take different shapes right. for different people. Yeah. And for me, it definitely goes into that perfectionism achievement trap and worry trap. That's another good one. So... Yeah, I'm going to be practicing this for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good modeling too, you know. When you say you make a conscious choice, is it like you you kind of wake up and you say, today I'm going to be self-compassionate? Or is it like something that just, it's like now, <laughs> now it's just kind of more of, um, you know, the way in which you engage in the world? Um, well, so on the on the one hand, when it comes to self-talk, a lot of times, honestly, it's my husband. He'll say, hey, that wasn't very self-compassionate. <laughs> and, and so it's catching myself or him catching me saying something. And, okay, how can I reframe that? But then on a, on a bigger scale, self-compassion, I think, is about the decisions and behaviors and choices we make. Um, which will be different for different people, you know? So, <clears throat> for example, for some people, having a glass of wine is a compassionate thing to do. Sit and have a... For me, no, it's not. I can't do that. So it's... it's those are also part of self-compassion. It's, it's both, uh, you know, taking care of yourself, bubble baths or whatever... And it's also, am I living in alignment with who I want to be, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's not like there's this like set formula, like this is what self-compassion looks like. I mean, in some sense, yes, right? There's sort of like, there's elements to it that you've already beautifully described. And it it seems like it's really unique and and um, to each individual. That's it's based in you know who they are as authentic beings. Mm hmm. Yeah, and this was part of why I I really wanted to make this book an offering for the reader to discover their truth their story that's why I have all these journaling prompts because I you know I'm sharing my story as this is what worked for me but ultimately I think each of us is an expert on ourselves and no one else can come in and say this is what you need to do this is how you need to live um, I did that for many years and it does not work um, a big part of my self-compassion shift was looking to myself for the answers instead of to others, whether it was the church or some boyfriend or whatever, you know, finding 
finding the answers within yourself is super important. And so that's why this self-reflection piece is really important, which is not the same as self-criticism. Like we can reflect on, okay, that was kind of, I, I didn't do that so well, but that doesn't mean I'm beating myself up. I'm a horrible person. You know what I mean? Like we can. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it's like um, if we can be curious, you know, in, in that self-reflective process, if we can be curious about what happened or be open, it's like without attributing any sort of like this is wrong or right or any sort of judgment to it is what kind of releases some of that grip of the self-criticism in that process. Yeah. And then that seems like that gives the opportunity. It's like that's where the doorway opens to rewrite the story or to step into self-compassion. Would you say that's mm -hmm. correct? Or yeah, exactly. Kind of yeah, definitely. I was actually just looking at your website right before this, and I saw you have the words um, radical self-authorship. <laughs> And I love that. I just wanted to tell you, I really love that phrase. Thank I you. I might steal it. No. <laughs> well, you're welcome to. I mean, <laughs> self-authoring is, I think, is, it's what you've been talking about this whole time. It's, you know, it's, it's about making these conscious choices around who we are in the world. And I think, you know, I love that you've really framed it through the lens of self-compassion because I think that we do have a tendency to be much more self-critical um, about who we are. I mean, how it's like, I've often heard the phrase, like, would you, if you, if you said that to a friend, would you ever say the things that you say to yourself to one of your best friends? And a lot of us would probably say no, because that's really mean. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know if you've seen this French dove commercial. It's been circulating around for quite a, quite a few years. Um, but they did, they did this experiment where they asked some women to write down their random thoughts about themselves throughout the day. And then those lines were given to some actresses. And then they all met in a coffee shop, and these actresses spoke these lines to each other while the original women were listening. And they said, you know that's really horrible what you're saying to that person. And it was the same words that they had said to themselves, right? So it, it's amazing. And, and when you believe those words, it keeps you from living your best life. Yeah. Which it sounds like, you know, from just what you, you kind of started out saying when we started our conversation around, you know, how it was like, it was almost like once you stepped into self-compassion, it was like you could do anything. It's like it released you from something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it was also, I want to say, a, a shift in mindset, and I'm not sure, I think that kind of happened gradually, um, leaving sort of this fundamentalist way of thinking where everything was right or wrong, you were good or bad, to a more uh, flexible, pragmatic maybe 
way of thinking. Um, not that there aren't facts, but that just asking this question, is this a beneficial story for me to be telling? And when I say story, I don't mean that there aren't facts. There are facts. We're, we're you know, we have, we need facts more now than ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's not what I'm saying, but, but in interpreting the facts, we're telling a story and that's where we can decide how do we want to, to tell that story. Yeah. So, you know, I guess when you're talking about stories, um, do you, since you just alluded to that a little bit, do you want to elaborate a little bit about what you mean by story? Um, hmm. That is and a I, good question. Yeah. I guess in how it, I, you know, just in how it relates to what we've been talking about with self-compassion and, and the stories that we tell, what that really, what you mean by that, yeah. I guess, a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I think I, I mean two different things. So on the one hand, you have sort of the, the narrative you tell to make sense of a specific event. So this thing happened and you tell a story about it. And then on the deeper level, you have sort of the core narratives, the, the, the life story of, of your life. So you have the little story and the big story. Um, and the little stories need to fit into this big story somehow in order for you to feel like you have uh, a coherent identity, maybe. Um, I haven't really thought about how I want to define that. That's a very good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you defined it really, really well. And I and I guess that's something that you'll probably, you know, work on, you know, yeah. conceptualizing a little bit more when it gets to, you know, when you start to work on your your research um, more more deeply and really get into those those concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, you know, if, if there's you know, something about um, just the process of writing the book, you know, and what that was like, just sort of in a self-compassionate way, like what, what that was like to even write the, the book from this frame of, of um, you know, being critical around, because I guess what I'm trying to say is like you, 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 you speak so honestly about your experiences in your book, which I think, you know, is, it's, um, it's a way of, of opening up, you know, the, the reader into your own life, you know, like you mentioned, it's like, this has been my experience and this is what the turning points that happened for me. And, and then, you know, here's an offering for you. And I just, I get curious about, you know, what was that like for you to even, um, to make those choices around what you decided to share in your book? Mm. Well, okay, I want to see right now, I'm wanting to say three things at the same time. Got to choose one. Um, first, a, a little bit about creativity, because that is really hard to do when you have your inner critic on you. If there's anything that needs the inner critic to go away, that's creativity. Um, and so even just getting to where I could write anything at all, 
I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here. <laughs> Anne Lamott, she talks about writing a shitty first draft. And that is super, super important. Just to write out whatever, and then I will figure out later on, am I going to keep this or not keep it? Am I going to, you know, maybe shape it differently? Um, to allow myself to just be messy on the page. Um, and then, but I do have a chapter in here where I talk about a uh, writing retreat that didn't go so well because, <laughs> because I didn't do any writing and uh, my inner critic was having a field day with that, you know, you need to be writing, you need to, and then it's like the irony I'm writing a book on self-compassion and my inner critic is <laughs> beating me up about not doing my writing. <laughs> so it's, and as far as like what I chose to put in there, um, I'm, I'm really pretty transparent. So as far as the one thing I did not want to um, mention names, um, and so except for my husband, my current husband, um, I did not use anyone's name. So I tried to be as careful of people's privacy as I could. Uh, but as far as my own privacy, I'm not particularly worried about what people think of me. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think really demonstrates, you know, the self-compassion, you know, what you're talking about around not having this fear around who you are in the world. Um, I mean, I feel like that's how you frame it. You know, it doesn't self-compassion doesn't have to be something that we're just sort of sitting, you know, in in a meditation room and sort of, you know, practicing self-compassion. It's, it's, it's less about, you know, it, it, while it includes the sort of the inner looking, what I've really sort of gathered from our talk today and even just you know reading your book is that it, it really is about being action in the world too it's mm -hmm. sort of like that both and right right and and that I feel is the biggest change perhaps that self-compassion has given me the courage to um do the things that I'm scared of doing mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I love that self-compassion to courage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to thank you, Marianne, and this has really been a lovely way to spend the evening uh, with you, Marianne, and and to to have this this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DeMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.